Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. All right, everyone. Hey, if you guys can make your way back to your seats. Hey, Rich. guys can make your way back to your seats. Hey, what a, what a season it's been. I just want to give a couple of quick shout outs for some visitors who are visiting. Uh, Eric, who him and his family had moved out to Florida. They're back. Can we give it up for them? Yeah. Seeing some of our regular families make their way back as well. I think I saw Darren Jur here earlier. There's Darren. There's some other folks who have been part of the family for a while and just want to celebrate that. I also want to celebrate, I heard some people here uh, ran the marathon last week. Christy Park, yes. Uh, Christy, I think Cabrina also ran the marathon. Uh, She didn't? Oh, she didn't. Okay. I know Downey and I talked about what it's like to run the marathon. (laughs) We did over here as well. Yes, fantastic. We had another marathon as well as that, Colleen. Yes. Fantastic. Um, Hey, what a gift. What a gift it is to just be able to celebrate with friends and family, especially in this season. Uh, Just want to give a quick update about kind of where we're going. Um, If you've been to any of our family meetings that we've been hosting once a month online, uh, just wanted to give you guys an update on what it looks like, what my friend is calling uh, the great modern reset of New York City. Uh, If you've noticed over the past kind of few months, much of the stories about New York's demise was written. A lot of digital ink was spilled over the past couple of years. And yet, here we are. And so one of the things that we were thinking, especially as we move into this new year, is we, uh, every year during uh, this Christmas season, we normally do something called extending hope. Can I hear you say extending hope? Extending hope is an opportunity for us as a community to actually uh, extend hope, to be a place and a people who believe that we get to be part of the great modern reset of New York City and of Brooklyn in particular. And so with that said, Extending Hope is really our giving initiative where we want to invite folks to give above and beyond what we normally give. Uh, to live into this value of generosity, which we believe marks us as followers of Jesus, that we are not simply people who kind of say one thing and behave in a different way, but actually we put our money where our mouth is. In other words, we are people who in every way with our words, our time, our energy, and even with our financial resources, we want to lean into this value called generosity, that we believe that living for a bigger story, a generous story of what God is doing in Brooklyn and beyond is really what we live for, that we're not only out for our own personal ambitions, which is so plain out in New York, but instead that we are people who live for something beyond that. And so uh, the initiatives that we're going to be kind of looking to raise for is really this idea of rebuilding Hope Brooklyn in this next season. I know a lot has happened to our community over the past uh, 18 months, and yet here we are with this incredible opportunity as we move forward. We're going to be investing in next gen uh, as we think about kids and youth. Uh, We know that even right now, the situation where we drop off the kids over at Hoyt Street and have the gathering here. We really do want to invest in the next generation in this next season, as well as in justice and neighborhood. 
neighborhood. Uh, Greg mentioned earlier that Thanksgiving and Christmas, we're going to be uh, partnering with a couple of our partners um, here in downtown Brooklyn. And in the midst of all of that, we really want to spur our community on towards greater generosity, which is why we're, we're doing Extending Hope. So you can give to Extending Hope online um, through the Church Center app, or if you give via Venmo or anything like that, just put Extending Hope in the memo. Or if you give by, there's these things that people used to write called checks, And uh, there's this memo section, if you actually write in the memo section, just write Extending Hope. And again, every single cent will be given towards these initiatives, especially as we move into this new year. May we be a community that's marked by a different story, a a different story than what the rest of the city might be writing, that we get to be part of that. Uh, So uh, Greg kicked us off last week. We talked about No Shame November. Can I hear you say No Shame November? So when Greg mentioned that, I was like, oh, I guess I got to change my sermon here because uh, I was going to try to shame people into, no, I'm just kidding. Haha, <laughs> you see what I did there? You see what I did there? No. Um, but, uh, you know, and he preached such a stirring message last week, thanks, Greg, about the ways in which Jesus frees us and he calls us. And I thought uh, there'd be no uh, better text to actually look at today than a passage in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, it's, and it's the calling of a guy named Simon who later would have his name changed to Peter. And you're going to actually see in this story uh, this calling that Jesus has for this person. It's really a remarkable story, and I'd like for you to read along with me. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. This is the reading of God's word. This is what it says. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So do you get this? Jesus, his reputation has already gone before him. He's already healed the sick. He's preached with great great authority. He's cast out demons. And so as a result, there's a crowd that's gathered around him as he begins to teach. Uh, And look at what happens. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. There's the person that we're talking about. And asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So do you get what's happening? There's such a massive crowd that he has to get into the boat, creating almost like this amphitheater on the shoreline as he begins to teach about the word of God. And again, there's multitudes there. Now check out what happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, Simon, of course, was one of these fishermen who was a professional fisherman. He knew the trade, the ins and outs of all of it. Look at what he says. Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So do you get the picture of this scene? Here's Jesus, right, and he's teaching with great authority. After he's finished teaching, he goes to these fishermen who are professional fishermen. They knew the trade inside and out. And so he actually goes to this fellow named Simon, and he actually says, hey, hey, actually, go put out a little bit into the deep. And here Simon is, and you can imagine some of his incredulity at this. He's basically like, hey, listen, Jesus, we are expert fishermen here. 
right? Because this is their trade. They do this day in and day out. This is their livelihood. Of course, finding the greatest number of fish, that's what keeps them going. So you can imagine just like they're having, he's having this exchange with Jesus. Jesus, who's like this carpenter, who's teaching with great authority, but he's, he's basically broaching upon uh, the fisherman's expertise. And so Simon's basically like, Jesus, listen, we've been fishing all night and day. We've been at it. But he says, master, because you say so, I'll do it. And so what does he do? He takes the nets and he puts them out into the deep water, which is where Jesus had commanded him to put out the, to the deep water. And what's so amazing is once Peter does that, or Simon does that, the nets are so full that the nets begin to break. So can you imagine what's happening in the calculus of Peter's mind, Simon Peter's mind? He's basically like, oh my goodness, like I have been at this the entire day and here I am, Jesus, he just says a word, just put out the nets into the deep and all of a sudden the nets are about to break. They're so full that he has to call over the other fishermen and he's basically like, James, John, come over here. They come over and they have to actually have to help catch that. There's so many fish in these nets. So this miracle, this modern miracle happens to Simon right then and there. He being the expert is, is told, basically put out into the deep, and all of a sudden he obeys Jesus and he witnesses this miracle that he cannot explain. I can imagine the other fishermen basically, how did you know? How did you know? Well, he's like, I just, just listened to Jesus, you know, like, I mean, you guys didn't listen to Jesus. I listened to Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? Simon experiences this miracle. Now, what's so crazy about this story, though, is what happens after this miracle. Because here's what happens. Simon Peter basically experiences this miracle. He gets out, to, out of the boat, and I don't know what happens. He swims to Jesus, right? Whatever he does, he goes to Jesus, and look at what the text says in Luke chapter 5. What does he do? Now, you would imagine, or I would imagine, like this is what I would do, right? So I, we catch all this fish, get all the other boats here. Come over here, come over here. Like, let's, let's, like there's so many fish. Gets all the fish, swims to Jesus, and I'd be going to Jesus. I'd be like, yeah, Jesus, I knew it. All these guys didn't listen to you. I listened to you. I listened to you. Boom, right? Chest bump, right? Whatever. Like we're like, hey, we're in this together. That's right, Jesus. That's it's you and me, right? Exactly. Santos is excited as well. I love having him in the first row. Can I take you in the first row wherever we go? Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. Right, he's so hyped up. I mean, that's what I would expect, but he doesn't do that. Or you would expect, maybe not that he's just hyped up and says like, oh my goodness, this extraordinary thing has happened. You'd expect Simon, like he swims over, he goes to Jesus and he's kind of like this skeptical New Yorker, right? He goes up to Jesus and he's basically, hey, Jesus, like, listen, I, I, I know you've done a lot of miracles, but how'd you do that? I bet you can't do it again. You know, like, I, I mean, kind of like, hey, seriously, how'd you do that? Because I'm, I'm a fisherman. Listen, I know this trade inside and out. How did you do that? Right? You, you would think that maybe Simon would be inquisitive about it, that somehow he's asking Jesus, like, how he did that. Or you'd imagine, like, Simon, like, he has experiences this miracle. He swims to shore. He goes to Jesus, and he falls at Jesus' feet, and he's like, oh, my goodness, you are the son of God. You are amazing. I'm a servant. Let me do whatever you tell me to do. Because you are the son of God. You'd expect Simon to respond in one of those ways, right? With great enthusiasm or inquisitiveness or great submission. But look at how Simon responds. It's stunning, actually. It says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. He said, 
please, just, just, just get away. The question is, why does Simon respond this way? You'd expect him to, to respond with great enthusiasm or inquisitiveness or submission. But why this response? Well, the clue is actually found in the text. If you notice when Jesus, when he was telling Simon what to do, he said, I want you to go out and put your nets out into deep water. And in the ancient world, there was this belief that the abyss or the deep, it was the place, the nether world of that was close to the heart of the earth that no human being could ever fathom. The abyss was the place, that mysterious unknown, that no one would know what lied in the deep. And so here's what's so startling about this passage. See, when Jesus basically says, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. Yes, you've been fishing all day and night, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to put your nets out into the abyss, into the deep, into the areas that no one would ever know what lies within the deep except supernatural gods. Go put out into the deep, and I want to show you what happens when you put out into the deep. And so what does Peter do? He puts out, Simon Peter puts out into the deep catches so many fish. And so do you see what's happening in Simon's mind as he begins to think about what just transpired? He's just witnessed this miracle worker who knows what lies within the abyss, who knows the mysteries that perhaps no human being could ever fathom that this Jesus knows it all. And so for Simon, who's this fisherman, he starts to put two and two together, and he's basically like, oh, my goodness, this Jesus, who's just performed this miracle, who knows what lies within the deep, is the same Jesus who probably can look into the caverns of my soul, into the deepest parts of my own life. And can you imagine what Simon's thinking? He's like, oh, my goodness, this Jesus who knows all of this. And so it almost makes sense. Why in the world would he go to Jesus? Why would he, would he fall to his knees and basically say, listen, Jesus, like, just get with me. Because I am sinful. You know, I can imagine Simon begins to think. He goes through kind of the memories of his own life and journey, all the ways in which he hasn't measured up all the scripts, all the stories of shame, all the ways in which before the living God, there are all these ways in which he's already disqualified himself. Now, keep in mind, he hasn't even had this encounter or call from Jesus. He's basically just witnessed this extraordinary miracle, and all he's able to say is just get away from me. I am a sinful man. You can almost hear the messages in his own mind and in his heart and in his head. He's been telling himself not good enough. Who do you think you are? I can't believe it. Like if you can imagine for each one of us, like if you could imagine every thought in our past all the way up until today, and maybe if it's not even all the way back into the past, maybe it's simply just this past week. Our thoughts, the private areas, the netherworlds of your soul and mind, all the things that have been done or undone, all the areas that maybe perhaps give us the greatest source of shame and pain. You can imagine that kind of running commentary and imagine if it was projected on this screen. 
um, and kind of imagine if it was displayed for everyone to see. I know that I would be mortified at that. I could imagine for Simon Peter, like that's kind of what's happening to his own heart. He's like, oh my goodness, Jesus, just get away from me. Just get. Get away. And yet in Jesus, we find the most healing words. Look at what Jesus says. He basically says, do not be afraid. I still choose you. In other words, what Jesus basically says is he says, I see all of you. I still choose you. I see everything. I see all that's happened in your past. I see the family and the neighborhood from where you've come. see the pain and the struggle. I see the ways in which you struggle even today. I still choose you. It's these amazing healing words of Jesus as he calls on Simon. So much so that another text would tell us about how Jesus gives Simon a new name. It's almost like the stories that he's told about himself or the stories that others have told about him You are no longer defined by those stories or those names. In fact, I give you a new name, this name Peter. Now, you know what's so interesting? It it, it makes sense why Peter would have this negative script that goes on and on in his own mind and heart. You see, back in those days, especially in the ancient Near East, uh, for Jewish boys, the the goal, like the, the highest kind of goal for every Jewish boy was to become an apprentice or a disciple of this master rabbi. And so if you can imagine from these very kind of uh, formative years of ages 5 to 13, there's this process by which uh, a child would learn how to become a disciple of a rabbi. And so what would happen is, of course, these boys would, would, they would work so hard and diligently to learn the scriptures, to become the best students that they can. And back in those days, the ways that disciples were chosen is that these young boys that were again studying for the highest honor of becoming the chosen disciple, they would have to present themselves before this master rabbi and say, please choose me. Now, here's the thing about most boys who went through this entire process. This was generally the, the process that they would go through, right? They'd, like, like, it's like they're handing in their resume to these master rabbis. And these rabbis would look through these resumes and basically be like, oh, yeah, you, wow, you're really, you're really excellent at Hebrew, or you're really excellent at, you know, whatever else it might be. You've got what it takes to be my follower. Come and be my disciple. So you can imagine this whole process, right? It's this process of, wow, the best and the brightest will come and be chosen by the rabbi. Now, there's a reason why Simon actually ends up becoming a fisherman. You see, for those young boys who didn't have what it took to become a disciple, usually the story was, oh, thanks, thanks for your application here. I don't think you have what it takes. Go and learn your father's trade. And so you can imagine for Simon, like he's 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 had these stories before. He's he's always never been good enough. He's always been told that, oh, for this reason or for that reason, you're not good enough to be a true disciple. 
And so you could imagine, why does Peter have this negative? Right? Like, he does this miracle. Jesus does this miracle. Why is his initial impression like, just get away from me. I am a sinful. It's because these scripts, these messages that he's received before in his life, the messages that have also come from his own inner demons, all of these ways in which he's doubted himself, whether he really had what it took. So it makes sense then why the stories of like, listen, Jesus, you've got the wrong guy. Just get away from me for I am a sinful man. You know, in a place like New York, um, I think it, it kind of elevates itself, right? Like, because everyone who moves here or if you've grown up here, like, this city is often the best and the brightest in the world. That's why we love it. But have you had this experience where you're just like, man, uh, like, I used to think I'm, like, really good at basketball, right? Uh, and then I went and I played on the blacktops of New York, and I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for the eight. And, like, someone's like, oh, I think you, you need to be at that court over there. And I was like, what, what are you talking about? I belong on the A court, you know? Uh, and then I realized, I looked over and I saw who was playing at the A court, you know? And they were bigger, stronger, faster, more athletic. And I was like, you're right, I, I belong on C court, you know? Like, right? It's like, like, you're right, you're right, you got it, right? I mean, but I mean, that's just one silly example. But if you can imagine it, even in your own industry, if you've come here for theater or for art or whatever it might be for finance, and it's just kind of like this moment of like, wow, like in New York City, it's really hard to distinguish myself or be someone who's known or be someone who would actually be chosen. And in fact, it can become so overbearing sometimes and I'm just like, oh my goodness, the talent in this city is extraordinary. Like the Starbucks barista is way smarter than me and probably did better than me at school, right? Like, I mean, it, there's this way that New York City, it humbles us greatly. And I think for many of us, we've probably had that experience of, wow, to... to what does it mean to actually be chosen, to rise, to become the cream of the crop? Uh, or if you've had this experience when you were like in elementary school, uh, have you ever had this experience where like there's the team captains that are chosen, right? Like there's the team captains and usually it's like the, the most athletic people who are chosen to be team captains of the basketball team that we're doing during recess. It's like, okay, there's one team captain, there's another, right? And the whole time, everyone lines up against the wall. You guys know this experience, right? You line up against the wall, everyone's there, right? And everyone's acting like, I don't care. I don't care where I get picked, right? But inside, inside, it's kind of like, oh, please pick me, please pick me, please pick me, right? Like there's that moment, she's like, oh, come on, please pick me, please pick me. And then, right, and then slowly as one by one people get chosen, like that, that impulse to say, please pick me, please pick me, it starts to change, right? It's like, please don't let me be last, please don't let me, right? You know what I'm talking about? Now, if you were one of those people that was actually choosing others, I hate you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sorry. But seriously, dude, why can't you pick me, man? You know, like, but you know what I'm talking about, right? That the moment feeling of being chosen. I can imagine for Simon Peter, like, he just all the denigrating words, all the damning words that had been spoken over his life, all those messages that he continues, continues to haunt him, like in this statement of just get away from me, I am a sinful man. You could, you could feel the weight of the shame. Even as a pastor, I can feel so much shame over so many things that I've done 
and uh, I can feel so defeated. And as a vocational minister, I can often feel more defeated than ever. I know there are people that I've wounded or hurt or ways in which I've, you know, haven't had the best week with my family. And it's crazy, you know. So here I am supposed to preach in front of you all today. And there's been, it's just been such a heavy week where like the best sides of me when I've been hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, whenever I haven't shown or been, like put my best foot forward, I've made a, a cutting comment or I've made a mistake. Like there's a way in which that shame kind of like little messenger just kind of stays there and says like, Drew, who do you think you are? Like, how dare you think that you can get in front of people and preach? I remember there was one time when I was preaching this sermon on how God expects us, he doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he expects us to be honest. So I was preaching this sermon basically on how to get through our shame and how to become an honest people, an honest community where all of our scars, right, are shown. And so I'm preaching this message and it was from Acts chapter five. And I remember like normally I, when I'm preaching and stuff, I'm just like, da, 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 da. and then there was this moment though where I, I didn't know where I was going. Like, and it's this like awful feeling as a preacher when I'm like, preaching, and then, like, I just kind of hit this mental block, and I had no idea where I was going. So here I am preaching on this, this thing about, like, it's better to be honest than it is to be perfect. Uh, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects us to be honest, right? So here I am, I, I am preaching on this, and I'm preaching, and then I hit this mental block, and then all of a sudden, like, I'm like, I get mortified because I don't know where I'm going in this sermon. So I'm just like, you know, whenever I read this passage, the spirit just falls on me. And like, I just, I just, I can't believe like God is present. And then I'm like looking for my place in my notes and stuff. I'm just like, God is amazing. Can I hear you say amen? And you know, and I'm like, I, and basically I just start, I'm like, I'm like lying my face off in the middle of this sermon about how God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he expects us to be honest. So you can imagine then, right? So like I, after this sermon is over, I'm just exhausted, just so tired. And so I end up going home and I'm just I like, I, I'm racing through, why do I feel so exhausted? And I realized the very thing I was preaching about was the very thing that I was violating. Just because I didn't have, just because there was this shame thing in me that wanted, to, that wanted others to believe, that I have it all together, that I know where I'm going in my notes, that I'm a compelling speaker, whatever it might be, there was all of these stories that told me, hey, it's better to lie right now than it is to simply say, hey, guys, hold up. I just lost my place in my notes. It shows up all the time, these little shame stories, these things that cripple us, that tell us, God could never use you. In fact, some of us, maybe you've walked in today and maybe that's the story that you've told yourself about who God is, that he basically, he's accepting your resumes, your applications to be his disciple, and he looks them over and he says, you know what, you, you struggle in this area, you don't have what it takes, I'm sorry. I realized, I was like, sorry, I didn't realize, I was like, I was gonna say, I was gonna shame someone right there. Uh, oh my goodness, what was I doing? You like how I kept it general, though? I kept it general. I kept it general. I didn't want to, like, I was like, what can I say specifically about Nathan? I was like, ah, uh, that would be really awkward right now. So I'm not going to do that. I mean, but this is what we think, right? We think that God basically, he, he takes these applications like, oh, my goodness, this person struggles with depression? <laughs> Can't use that person. Person addiction? Come on. Come on. We need some, we need, 
people that are clean and sober for their entire lives. You know, oh, this person, they, they come from a sketchy background and like sketchy family life? Like, come on. You can only use those families that are pristine. This person came from Staten Island? Come on. No, I'm, just I'm sorry. I don't know if there's any Staten Island people here. Uh, you know, so. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. But, uh. but, I mean, this is what we do, right? We tell ourselves these stories all the time. This person struggles in this way? What? This person comes from a family that's in poverty? What? Like, I can't use them. This person comes from a family of wealth? I can't use them. But talk to me after the service and give to extend help, right? Like, I mean... <laughs> There's all of these ways in which we tell ourselves we've been disqualified. This person has had a divorce. This person has struggled in this manner. This person's too young. Ugh, forget it. I can't use any young people. This person's too old. Oh, my goodness. can't use old people. I can't use parents. I can't use single moms or dads. There's all of these ways in which these haunting words, these shameful words, we rerun in our mind and in our hearts. We say the same things that Peter did. Just get, get away from me. I am a sinful man. The beautiful thing about Jesus is he says, I see all of you. still choose you. Yeah, but Jesus, what about my past? You don't understand. No, 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 no. I, I see all of you. You know what's extraordinary about him calling Peter, changing his name to Peter? Because if you've read the scriptures, you probably know that years later, Simon Peter would actually betray Jesus in his most timely place of need. And it's not like Jesus doesn't know this about Simon. You know, so it's not, it's not like he says to him, hey, I, I see all of you and I choose you just for an intermediate period of time, but then I got to have you on probation a little bit because that probationary period, because you're going to mess up really bad. And honestly, you have to then prove your mettle about whether or not I'm still for you. So it just like, let me, it'll be a provisionary calling, okay? But he doesn't do that. He says, listen, I see all of you. I still choose you. Yeah, but Jesus, I don't know my family and some of the things that I've done. And when you, when you use that illustration about the video, this, I'm like, like, oh, my goodness, that's so haunting. Like, no, no, no. He says, no, no, I see all of it. I still choose you. I still choose you. I still want you. Oh, Jesus, no. I don't know what you're saying. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. says, no, I see all of you. I still choose you. I'm gonna invite us to stand. Uh, I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. You know, I, I know we're in no shame November and you 
and had to be chosen, believed in, to be called, to be forgiven, to have a new story written over your life and mine. Jesus says, I see all of you still choose you. Part of me that flinches at that reality. There's a part of me that recoils and wants to tell him, Jesus, I don't know if you have the right person. Jesus, no, no, no. See all of you. I still choose you. Yeah, but you don't know how I've struggled during the pandemic. He says, no, 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 I see all of you. Still choose you. You don't know what it's like, Jesus, though, to be single in the city and to struggle the ways I have. Or You don't know what it's like, the stress in my marriage right now. And Jesus says, no, 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 I see all of you. still choose you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm actually going to invite the communion servers to come forward. And and they're also going to serve as our prayer team, you know, and here's what communion is. You know, the, the reason why we do communion week after week is together we come before the living God. And with all that we've been through, there's always room at the table, the table where Jesus broke the bread and he gave it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it in remembrance of me. Where he, he poured out into the cup and he said, this is the cup of the forgiveness of sins poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And every week we get this reminder, this tangible reminder that when we partake of the bread and of the cup, that Jesus is basically saying, hey, Keith, I see all of you. I still choose you. And Melanie, I see all of you, and I still choose you. Jonathan, I see all of you. I still choose you. I've seen what you've struggled with, Greg, and I still choose you.